0: Last week, I had mentioned that in looking at the life of David, it caused me to wonder why would God select a man like David? It said that he was a man after God's own heart, but what does that entail? In that, you know, nobody looking at him picked him out. In fact, we said he wasn't even invited to the party when it came time to be anointed. And yet... um, there was something special that God saw. And so the question is, what was unique about the man? And so last week we looked at the dynamic of courage, where he was an extremely courageous person. This week I want to look at um, his unwillingness to take immoral shortcuts to get where he felt God was leading him. And the idea of being, as kind of was mentioned earlier, in regard to authority and submission and things like that, he had a handle on things that was different than normal. And so I I want to take some thoughts on that. It's possible that he was uh, only 15 when he was anointed. Uh, He could have been even younger. But when the the men went off to fight uh, the Philistines with Goliath, remember his three older brothers went? If a guy was 20 or older, he was considered military ready, and David was the eighth son. And so, you know, it puts him back into his mid-teen years, most likely. That said, his running from Saul and his being out in the wilderness and, and the difficulties that he faced between that time of being anointed as the next king until the time that he became king at 30 would have meant that he could have been, you know, years in this mode. And so uh, to to retain a faith in the Lord even during that or continue to keep this vision of what God had for him was pretty impressive. Um, I'll give you an example. He had he had heard of a city named Keilah that had um, come under Philistine attack, and so he went to bail them out, which he did, and then he was living at the city, and, you know, he's praying about things and going, if Saul founds out I'm here, I wonder if the people of the city would turn me over. So there's an inquiry made of the Lord, and they said, yep, and he said, yes, you will be turned over. So he heads off into the wilderness. And for the next years, he's basically out of the community life. And so, a very complicated situation. But I want to read, uh, before I go further, out of one psalm. This is Psalm 63. It's one of the psalms that was written while he was in the wilderness. Um, May have been after Absalom had tried to take the throne. But it reads like this. You're my God, and I worship you. In my heart, I long for you as I long for a stream in the scorching desert. I've seen your power and your glory in the place of worship. Your love means more than life to me, and I will praise you. As long as I live, I will pray to you. I'll sing joyful praises and be filled with excitement like a guest at a banquet. I think about you before I go to sleep. My thoughts turn to you during the night. You have helped me, and I sing happy songs in the shadow of your wings. I stay close to you, and your powerful arm supports me. All who want to kill me will end up in the ground. Swords will run them through, and wild dogs will eat them. Because of you, our God, the King will celebrate your faithful followers, but liars will be silent. Even in fleeing from the Lord... There was a recognition in David that his heart was tuned to him more than his outward circumstances. And one of the things that I, I grab onto in regard to his life, and even these years of running around and trying to stay hidden, the outward circumstances did not dictate the pursuit of his life. It did not affect his faith in the Lord. And if anything, he just said, "I'm I'm in your hands." And this is what I'm going to trust. And so, you know, a powerful idea is that regularly outward circumstances tend to wind us up, right? Tend to upset us and, and we say, where's God in this? But David's approach as a man after God's own heart, he had already set himself to what he believed and he was faithful even through these circumstances, to me, that's a, a powerful idea. I'd want to, I want to chase a few things during this time with him just uh, to, to share kind of what was going on in his life. Two of the incidences where he had Saul and the ability to slay him, he chose not to. Saul was the king during that time. So in, in 1 Samuel chapter 23, it's the first incident, Saul had chased him with 3,000 men. David had about 600 men at that time. And uh, again, was wandering through the wilderness, just doing what he could. Saul had already tried to pin him to the wall twice with a spear. David had refused and, and run and and just hidden. But in uh, 1 Samuel 23, Saul's chasing him down one side of the mountain while David's on the other side of the mountain. You talk about intense. I'm sure they had spies on top, each of them, looking and saying, he's going this way, and he's coming here, you know. And, and they're, but they're, it's that close to being the end. And Saul gets a word from the home that the Philistines are attacking him and he has to break it off, head back, and take on war. But it's one of those moments where David is, you know, he's, what happens when the mountain runs out, you know? And they're looking at a big battle. But in that moment, he, he has to, to hope in God. That's, that's the best he can cling to. And yet it's enough. And so, you know, they go through that experience and then David goes off into another wilderness. Saul sends out spies and they hear about him. And so in the 24th chapter, Saul's chasing him again. And he's heard that he's in En and he's got 3,000 men with him. And Saul, of all things, he goes into a, a cave in this area where they tended sheep, and he goes into a cave to relieve himself. And David's hiding in the cave with his men. And his men began to say to him, God has provided him into your hands. What has been promised to you is now available. And it's interesting to note that, you know, it's, they're saying, God has orchestrated this event. Why why did Saul land there? You know, and it's like, this is the moment. And David sneaks up to him and shows that it's completely possible, cuts off a part of his robe, but then is conscience stricken by it, and he refuses to let the men slay Saul. And in that moment, you have to go, David says, I am not going to put my hand against the Lord's anointed, and yet David is anointed as well, right? So in a sense, David is respecting what has been called out by God in another person, even though that person is causing him grief. It's a powerful idea to catch on to because you know, sometimes when we're looking ahead and we see a boss or someone in authority over us that seems to be slowing down our progress, there's a temptation to just <laughs> stab them in the back, do whatever's necessary. And David is saying, I'm not into shortcuts this way. This is not the approach. This is not the way God does things. And and looking at that, you're going, ultimately, if we recognize God as authority and Him having a hand over all authorities in this world, then in some ways we're taking a shot and saying, God doesn't really, won't really see this through. I've got to take things into my own hands. David is saying that's not the way to get things done. And so it's a, a powerful lesson You know, there's two sides of this, too. Saul, on the one hand, is the authority figure that says, I've got this uprising. God has given me the power with this troop to to suppress this. And he hasn't been seeking God in the matter either. So, I mean, both sides have to come to terms with this, right? One of the problems that I have with abortion is just that if you don't respect the life within you, are you truly respecting your own life? You know, if if you don't have respect for the child that's, that's conceived, what respect do you have over your own life? That's one of the issues that our culture really hasn't looked at in earnest. You know, the value of life says that every life is valuable. Every life is precious, including our own. But if you think less of yourself, then it's easier to open the door for other things like this. That's off the topic. That's free. (laughs) Whatever. Not every open door is an open door from the Lord. Okay? So even though this opportunity was given, David has to evaluate, is this the way God does things or not? And he comes to the conclusion, this isn't God's path. This isn't the way the Lord fulfills things. And so he decides, no. I'm not going to do this. Well, he challenges Saul, and, you know, he, after Saul leaves, he confronts him and says, why are you chasing me, and why are you listening to other people? I, I'm not trying to commit treason here. I'm not after you. And finally, and, and uh, he, he actually bows down to Saul, pays homage. And Saul says, you know what, you're right. I've been wrong in this. He says, uh, I, I, you know, I, you've been more righteous than me, is his declaration. David says, may the Lord judge between us. He says, this isn't the way to do things. David makes a, a powerful statement, and he quotes an old proverb, and he says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. And that's, that's one of the things to grab onto and just say, if I can't get things done God's way, I'm assuming God's not in this. If I can't do the things the way that he does it, then something's wrong here. And so he's he's just going, I'm I'm not going to give in to this. Saul ends up responding. He says, may the Lord reward you for your good. And he says, you surely will be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So out of this experience, Paul sees the righteousness, or Saul sees the righteousness, and responds to it and says, God's blessing's on you, and I understand that you will be king. Okay, he extracts a, a, a promise from David not to slay his off, uh, Saul's offspring, and then he goes on. Okay, the 25th chapter, they each go their own ways. Uh, David ends up meeting Abigail and marries her. Um, but the 26th chapter, they're back at it again. Saul's chasing him. He's sent out spies, and this time it, it, it gets real close again, and David finds out where Saul's camping. And he goes into Saul's camp, and he, call, he asks, if anybody want to go with me? And Abishai, his nephew and, and a, a powerful warrior in his own right, says, yeah, I'll do that, you know? These uh, courageous men, following courageous men, so they go. They sneak down into the camp. It says that Saul's spear is by his head. This is the same spear that he tried to kill David with, I assume. And Abner, the chief of the army, is right there. But they're all sleeping. And it says that later on in the story, it says this is the Lord had put them to sleep, or a made this deep sleep come upon them. And so again, you're looking at it going, well, is this God's way? Because one of the things God's done here. And David, you know, Abishai tells him, let me, let, me, <laughs> let me put it in him. I won't have to strike twice. And this is a man that later on has said that he slew 300 men with his spear so when he says, I can finish this off with one blow to a sleeping guy, he's right. He's had another battle where uh, he gets the credit as, as like the general where they slay 18,000 Edomites. It says that one time later in life when David was weak that uh, are there, they're having a war with the Philistines and David's in battle and there's a giant that decide he has a brand new sword and he decides he's going to take on David. And uh, David gets weak in it, and Abishai comes and slays the man, protects David. So, powerful warrior with him, saying, right now is our moment. And again, David does the very same thing. Now, he could have said, you know, it didn't work last time. I might as well just give in to this. You know, I tried to do it God's way, or I tried to do it what I thought was right, but here's this guy, bother me again trying to kill me. And yet, in his heart, there's an unwillingness to violate what he believes is God's way of doing things. He says, if God appointed him, God can also unappoint him. If God put him in the place of king, then God can remove him as a king. But that doesn't have to come through my hand. It's powerful just to say, okay, there is something different about this guy. There's something different about his heart. There's something unusual that that is willing to hear God's voice first rather than take whatever is expedient in the moment. So they walk through this again. And uh, David leaves the camp with the sword and the water bottle that was right beside him, or the pitcher. And he gets up on top of the mount and he calls out to Abner, Abner, why aren't you protecting your boss? What's the matter with you? And Dave, and Saul recognizes David's voice, and, and so they have this dialogue again. And uh, David, this comment is made, or Saul makes this comment, he says, I've acted foolishly, I've made a great mistake. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. That's something to chew on, isn't it? You know, we, want to, we say, yeah, I want to follow God. I want to do what he wants. Well, then, do you truly believe that he rewards each one according to his righteousness and faithfulness? Rather than taking immoral shortcuts or, you know, heading down the road that what seems the easiest or saying, I know that God has called me to this, so this is how I'm going to get there and it'll be simple. David's drawing a line saying, I am not going to get to God's place by following profane paths. And so he, he's, he's just laid it out. And again, Saul says, Your life was, or David says, your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord and deliver me out of all my tribulation. So he's going, it's not about me winning over you. He says, God is the one that I am trusting to sustain me. Saul says, blessed are you, my son David. You'll do many things and will succeed in them. Um, In reading this and walking through this, then it was easy to start saying, okay, how do these things apply in life now? You You know, in marriage... You can see David and Saul if you want to. You know, if you have authority and, you, and you're going, I need to quell this, I need to stomp on this. Or if you're a David and saying, I, I, I don't know how do I submit to this, but I, I'm going to. As a child or the parent, it's a similar thing. You know, are you going to be oppressive like a hand of Saul saying, I better not let them get away with anything or let them think they can get over on me? Or even as a child saying, I'm going to trust you enough, That I'm going to trust the Lord enough to provide. We can see that in, in church life. We can see it in community. We can see it governmentally. It's just like we all live with authority and submission structures. That's, that's life. But not many take the mindset of saying God will exalt as he sees fit. God will put me in the place where he wants me to be. God will sustain my path in the way that he wants. I don't have to take immoral shortcuts to get there. It's it's incredible a thing to think about. In uh, Romans chapter 13, Paul says, we're to submit to authorities over us. He just says, they're appointed by God. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So he he lays it out and say this is something we need to take on as believers. It's interesting that Jesus said, at least twice, when it came up to paying taxes, uh, works things out. You know, where the one time he tells Peter, "Well, go fish. The first fish you pull in, there'll be a coin in there. Pay your tax and mine." Now I'd like for that to happen on a regular basis. You know, I'll go fishing and pay my taxes. <laughs> Tried it. And I haven't had it work yet, but. <laughs> It's worth to keep trying. no. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, Jesus is challenged, well, should we be paying taxes to Caesar at all? Remember, the, the Jews are saying, these people have dominated us. They should not be over our land. We need to toss them out. And Jesus says, whose image is on there? Well, Caesar's. Well, pay. give Caesar what's his and God's what's his. You know, and, and it's just like this principle carries through. Once we grab a hold of it. Final thing was just in in Peter. uh, Peter walks through a very similar thing. He he says, we're to respond to those that are in authority over us. They don't wield the sword for nothing. And then he goes on and says, if if you're uh, under a master, even if he's unjust, you need to submit yourself to God in this. And even in the suffering, he likens it to Jesus' suffering on earth. He says, There's value in the Lord even out of this, if you'll follow it in the right path. So looking at that and and walking it through, you know, obviously we say we want to be a people after God's own heart as well. We want to be a courageous people, but we also want to be a people that understands his way of doing things and his structures and to respond in paths that are not immoral not taking shortcuts that seem quicker and better and safer and easier, and rather saying, God, whatever path you lead me on, I will follow you, trusting in your faithfulness and goodness. God saw something in David's heart even as a boy. And then for the next years, the guy's running for his life, but God still had good plans for him. And At the age of 30, he became a king. Praise the Lord. We thank you for your scripture that speaks life. As we've read these stories and looked at them, Lord, we pray that you will speak to our hearts as to how we ought to be responding in life now. Help us to trust you so that we don't need to take the shortcuts that seem so much simpler. Amen.